I'm Trevor. And I'm Cassidy. And you're listening to The Full Grassley. It's known as a full grass lake. Every one of Iowa's 99 counties. I think that's one of the secrets for success in Iowa. Today, we explore the considerations for Iowa school districts surrounding the coronavirus and reopening this fall. Let's get started. Hello, Trevor. Hey, Cassidy. Welcome back to another episode of The Full Grassley. Today, we are going to be discussing the reopening of schools in Iowa and talking to Dubuque Community School Board member, Dr. Kate Parks. Before we get into the interview, Let's give some background about how COVID-19 has impacted K-12 schools in Iowa. Back in March, when the reality of the coronavirus really started to become real, many K-12 schools made the independent decision to switch their learning to virtual online instruction. Mid-March, Governor Reynolds announced that schools would close for four weeks, but ultimately she made the proclamation that schools would remain closed for the remainder of the 2019 2020 school year. There were a lot of concerns that came with closing of schools. While it was a priority to protect students and their family, faculty, and staff from possibly contracting the coronavirus, there are many factors that schools had to consider when switching to online instruction, including students who rely on free and reduced school lunch, internet access for students, and many other concerns. Throughout the summer months, the conversation about the reopening of schools for the 2020-2021 school year has been rampant, with a lot of confusion and differing opinions. As we speak to you now, many of Iowa students have returned to the classroom as Iowa's Governor Kim Reynolds and the Iowa Department of Education has required that school districts around the state return to in-person learning for at least 50% of all instruction. To better understand the state of in-person learning and how that's affected communities around the state, let's hear from Dr. Kate Parks. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Kate Parks, Professor of Sociology at Loris College and Dubuque Community School District Board Member. Thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. We are first hoping to give some backstory about the initial reaction and plan put into place back in March, when the reality of the coronavirus really hit the United States. So, what was the initial reaction from the Dubuque Community School District when they found out about the coronavirus and its potential impact on schools? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I should say that I am going to do my best to represent kind of my understanding of this, but I, you know, might not fully represent like what the district would say, if that makes sense at all. Um, It was challenging for school districts in Iowa um, to kind of figure out what the right decision is in terms of keeping schools open or closed. So I think um, there was a lot of discussion happening just like within the community about what would happen, you know, what what is that decision going to be from the school district and when are we going to make it? Um, And really, I think we were waiting for leadership from the governor and the Department of Education on that to kind of figure out like what does make sense. Um, So at that moment, I think we were really waiting for some state level guidance on 
how to make that decision. It was right before the Dubuque Community School District was going to have spring break. So that timing was pretty good, actually, because I think it gave us a little bit of time to figure out what we were going to do next. And students were already going to be gone during that time and teachers because of the break, which kind of helped. But it was a little weird also because then it's like, okay, well, we'll maybe see you again, but we don't know. Mm. What did the district need to think about to support its students when instruction remained fully online? Some of the biggest things that we had to think about and that the district had to think about were how to make sure that all of our kids had access to learning. And that would include, you know, kids who maybe don't have English as their primary language. Like, how are we making sure that those kids are connected to a teacher or to some way of getting access to the curriculum and what was going on? I think um, there's like 14 different languages spoken in the Dubuque Community School District from kids. And so it's just really, you know, important that those kids are connected. Also, thinking about kids who have special needs and might have like individual education plans or have like specialists that they have to meet with. And then we have a significant proportion of kids who qualify for free and reduced lunch in our district. And we have five Title I schools where those kids, a majority of the school receives free and reduced lunch. And so thinking about like how to make sure that they have what they need in terms of meals. Like schools are sometimes the primary place where some kids get meals for the week. And so thinking about that was really important. Like, how are we going to make sure that we're still supporting those kids and those families? Something like 6% of families in Dubuque don't have access to the internet at all. And so transitioning to online learning just wasn't something that some families were able to do let alone, you know, how are families actually managing that learning with their students, especially if they're essential workers or frontline workers who have to be on the job. I will say, like, our district was amazing in handling this. Like, right away, as soon as spring break was over, there were all of these meal sites all over the community where families could go get grab-and-go lunch. Um, And a lot of community partners stepped up, too, to help that happen, which was just incredible. Um, We also made a decision to pay all of the hourly staff during that time because they're valued employees. And this is a serious situation for them, too. And we didn't want, you know, we value them and we didn't want to lose, like, all of our workforce because they would need to do something else if we weren't paying them, you know. Um, The district also was able to create kind of on-the-fly online learning resources for families. So every week they would have a packet of stuff that you could either go pick up from the school, from the lunch sites, or you could get online so that parents had some resources they could use for students that they had at home. We did know, like, we weren't reaching everybody. And that's why in our district, we didn't make it a required learning situation because we couldn't guarantee that every student could participate in that. And we have to make sure that that's true. It's a public school. We can't just say, oh, sorry, 6% of you, we're not going to teach you. So not only do you serve on the Dubuque Community School Board, but you are also a sociologist, a professor of sociology. So how did you use that area of expertise when making important decisions regarding 
the students, teachers, and staff in the Dubuque Community School District. That's, you know, one of the classes I teach is the sociology of education. So it's all about like understanding these, the system of education and that institution. You know, there's federal, state, and local influences as well as the impact of families. So I think my background thinking about inequality especially has been helpful and especially in terms of just asking questions about access and who might be included or not included in decisions that we're making. The district, I think, has done a really good job of also anticipating that, which has been really good. Like, I think it's on their radar, too. So one of the things that I I ask, like, they did a survey of families and of the teachers and staff in order to get a sense of how they were feeling about the different delivery options for education now that we're coming back. I mean, research methods is like my thing, right? I teach a class about that too. So questions I'm going to ask about that would be like, were there any patterns in terms of people who didn't reply to our survey? Like, did we miss anybody because they either didn't fill it out or didn't like remember or didn't have access to it? Just so that we can be really clear, like, this is what we know about the people who responded. Does that represent everyone? And if it doesn't, like who isn't there? One of the hard things, I think, as a sociologist who is kind of a data wonk person is just like, it's really hard to make sense of any of the data in Iowa right now. You know, the state's not doing a very good job of actually keeping track of their own data right now. And then, you know, as an educator, I think that that's helpful perspective as well. Like thinking about like, what, what does this look like from the teacher's point of view? going back into class, like, what are the things that they need? Like, what would support them in being able to do this? And as the beginning of the school year is upon us, what's the reality of coronavirus in Iowa and Dubuque specifically? (laughs) I have no idea. I mean, here's what I think that we know, is that in Dubuque County, um, we have not seen our rate go down. And if if you know more than me, please correct me. But it seems like it's been either increasing or staying the same. And that's true, I think, in Iowa, too. It's not true evenly across the state, but we are not seeing numbers go down. The problem is right now, though, the state of Iowa was incorrectly attributing people's positive and negative tests. So if you took a test more than one time, like I have a friend who's had to have two tests. So the second time he got tested, they would have backdated that test to the first time that he got tested. And so new cases were being connected to earlier dates so that whenever your first test was, like for some reason, any additional tests would just get entered on that date which means that we don't really have good information about what's been going on recently. That is very troubling uh, because the state has required that we use positivity levels within the community in order to determine how to open schools. And if we don't have that information, districts can't make good decisions. I don't know, even from my perspective, it seems that Um, The guidelines from the state of Iowa and the governor have been changing a lot. 
Um, but what is the school board hearing from the Department of Education and Governor Reynolds? And after hearing these different guidelines, have you had to reformulate school reopening plans from what they maybe would have looked like earlier on in the summer? What's been interesting about this, and I will admit that I have no idea how this normally works, but I get the sense that it's not usually like this, but I'm not totally sure, right? New person on the board. When the way that districts have been learning about the changes from the Department of Education and the governor is at the press conferences. So when we are all watching these press conferences on local news or on Facebook or whatever, that is the time when all the superintendents across the state are also learning about what has been decided. So just let that sink in for a second. You know, I think it's possible, like you could imagine living in a world where the Department of Ed or the governor's office would say to districts and superintendents, like, here's what's likely coming at this press conference. This is what we anticipate these changes will be so that you're ready for it when inevitably you're going to get questions about it from the community, your staff, and maybe even your school board members, right? But that's not what's going on. And instead, everyone has to watch with bated breath to figure out what's about to happen. And it's changed a couple of times, as you've noted. I will even say it's still not super clear if the the guidance that she gave in late July with the different like community spread levels it's not totally clear if that is what we have to do or if it's a recommended guideline. Like I saw another update just a few days ago that made it seem like it's not set in stone and that districts can choose. But that's also not the messaging that we've gotten from the governor herself in these press conferences, especially when they're about like what will happen to superintendents or districts who don't do what she's asking them to do. And we've seen like some lawsuits starting now against these plans and against the governor because it's so crazy. Things are obviously going to change. Like this situation is fluid and we've never been in it before. So on the one hand, that's what we're told to do. Like you need to be flexible and adaptable. On the other hand, if you are not doing what's been mandated by the state, you could be in trouble. Those two things don't actually coexist very well. And what should be happening is districts should be able to make these decisions because every district's different. Like what's going on in a rural community is totally different than what's going on in an urban community. And that's just real. So it sounds like while some of these important decisions are not allowed to be made at the local level, some others are, or at least Dubuque is stepping up to make them. What were some of the biggest themes in conversations had by the Dubuque Community School Board regarding reopening of schools? So one thing that's been really good is that our initial plan that we submitted and, and recommended, which was a hybrid option, actually did end up aligning with what Governor Reynolds um, mandated or proclaimed. What we've been discussing there's a few things because there's a lot of competing, not competing, there's a lot of different interests and thoughts about what we should do. Any plan we make, it's probably going to make some group of people mad. Whether that's saying like kids have to wear masks, which they do. Um, some people are not happy about that decision. Some people would be really unhappy if we didn't make that decision, right? 
Some folks would really like it if we would just return online only right now or push back the start date for school. And some people are like, why aren't you fully reopening right now? Right. So it's just there are a lot of different points of view and perspectives about it. And so I think as a board, like that's part of what we want to know. Like we we represent the community. So we do need to know what kind of what are the consequences of the decisions that we make. And that's probably one of the hardest things about this role right now, because we know that there are consequences to the decisions that we make and they're serious, right? So like when a single mom calls during our meeting, during the public forum and says like, I don't know how to make this work. Like having my kid come to school every other day, I'm a single mom and I have to work. Like, of course, that's a terrible situation. And it's also, you know, terrible to put teachers uh, and staff in the position where they could be exposed to, you know, possibly catching COVID. So one thing that we've been talking about is whether we're going to align with the metrics that were provided by the state. Um, the state was recommending or requiring, it's again, not super clear, that really that schools should be fully open uh, until the positivity rate in a community is 14 percent. Um, and I think that still was aligning with like at least 50 percent of the learning would need to happen in person. But it's really not very well laid out, in my opinion. We didn't think that those guidelines made sense. They don't align with the CDC or the World Health Organization or the Surgeon General. Like, no one is saying, like, you should wait until positivity rates are 20%. And Iowa has never had positivity rates that high. And no county in Iowa has had positivity rates that high. And so we've been really working on supporting the district to come up with different metrics that actually align with um, science. Um, We also do, though, have to think about, like, all of these decisions, like I said, have complications. Like, some families need schools to open, and they need their kids to be able to go there. Some kids need to be in school, and there are risks to them whether that's like mental health or others risks that are more serious if they aren't there. And, you know, COVID isn't the only risk. And that's what's hard about it. Like some kids have food insecurity. Some kids might not be in safe environments. You know, like all of that is true. And it's part of what we have to consider when we're making these choices. And it, you know, is really difficult to do. Our leadership team, um, our superintendent and his team, like they've put in tons of hours working into the evenings, many days and on weekends to come up with plans that make sense and that keep us all safe and allow for learning to happen. Um, For the most part, as the board, like we try, we ask questions about those plans to make sure there's not anything that got missed or that we think could be important. But we also trust the education professionals to know what works best, you know? So I think really our district's in a really good position at this point to kind of make this happen. Though I will put an asterisk on that only because the state has bungled this data collection and we don't know what that means. But, you know, there's still going to be things that we anticipate will be challenging. And, you know, like if a teacher gets sick, 
and has to quarantine for two weeks, like how does, how do we make those things work? And what does that mean for families? You know, there's still a lot of things that are unknown and that causes stress for everybody. There's also things that I think are hard to figure out until you're actually doing it. Um, which is not the best when you're in the middle of a pandemic having to figure it out. But, you know, before I talked to you two, we went to um, our kids' orientation at their school. Like, they had orientation today because they're starting school Monday. So they got to meet their teachers and see their classrooms. And it's all set up totally differently than it was before. And they have a plan for how that's going to work. And I think once you actually can see what that will look like, that kind of helps a little bit to not feel as scared about it. That's the last question that we have for you today. We'd now like to give you the opportunity to give any last minute thoughts or opinions about the reopening of schools in Iowa. I think the last thing that I would say is just, you know, it has never been more clear to me in my life how important it is to vote how important it is to pay attention to state level politics and local level politics. Um, But particularly like when I was your age, I was not paying attention to state level politics. State level politics is not sexy. It's not as exciting as like federal presidential races, but it could not be more consequential. Like I truly believe that our state would be in a totally different position if our state leadership was different and had made different decisions uh, and had more clear leadership early. We would not be in this position. And that's obviously true at the federal level too. But I think what that means is that people really need to be paying attention to these races as well and making sure that they are voting for people who are going to like have their best interests in mind, who are going to protect public education, who are going to put good people in charge of departments so that they know how to manage data and they know how to look at the science and make determinations about what is the best for people, and that they'll elect people who will listen to those people. I mean, that's really why we're in the position that we're in now, is because there is just an unwillingness to either listen to experts or we haven't put the right people in charge. And and that could have been avoided. And so I think it's really, really important as we get closer to November to use your vote in that way, keeping in mind like who gets put in these other positions, right? Like whether or not you like who the Democratic candidate is, I don't even care about that. But who is that person going to put in charge of the Department of Education? Who are they going to put in charge of you know, the State Department, like that matters so much. And it's important to pay attention to at the school board members. uh, Some of us like wrote a letter to some city council members and the County Board of Health. And we're like, we really need you to pass this mask mandate in the community. It's one of the ways that we can get ready for school and bring down the rate so it's safe to reopen schools. And so, you know, that happens at the local level. It's not happening at the federal or state level. It can happen at the local level, but only if you're putting the right people in place. Thank you so much, Dr. Parks, for speaking with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Good. I appreciate being a part of it. Wow, that was really insightful. Where should we start? The first thing that struck me, I think, was the lack of information school boards were getting. 
Right away, there was some obvious lack of important information available to the general public. That was pretty obvious, but I was surprised that people who had to be making some really important decisions didn't have the full story to even do so. I agree. I was really surprised that districts and superintendents weren't notified before press conferences about the important information, not only regarding the pandemic, but also the new guidelines for schools. Yes, I think Dr. Parks was getting at how frustrating it was to make these decisions without having the full context or important information to do so. Yeah, that would be very frustrating and frankly confusing. The false data reporting she spoke about is one example of this lack of communication and is really troubling for the reopening of schools. Districts don't even know what the true positivity rate is for their county, and the state hasn't given them information on this. Yeah, that's really troubling. Accurate data is the one thing that we do have on our side against this pandemic, and this is sort of a big deal. We've seen how mismanagement of data has led to poor public health responses that have risked lives and prolonged this pandemic even more. It's really disheartening to see another instance of this taking place, especially before school reopenings are going to happen. Not related to the misreporting, but still related to data in general, it will be interesting to see what happens with schools in Iowa. Will any districts hit the 20% positivity rate? And will the state establish a plan if this happens? Those are good questions, and like Dr. Parks said, I guess we just don't know until the proper guidance is given from the state. One thing that put some of my fears to rest about the inaccurate data was that the school district is also diving into the numbers. So Dr. Parks said that they have set in place more stringent guidelines than the 20% positivity rate for Dubuque specifically. I know that their extended guidelines are reliant on correct data from the state, so it's not a complete fix but it's reassuring that the district is getting into the numbers, too, and making sure they have an idea of what Dubuque is specifically dealing with and what policies may be best, given the community circumstances, which could be very different from the next town over, rather than following the state's broad recommendations. I totally agree. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? I think overall it was a reminder of the importance of public schools, especially, like Dr. Park said, as institutions. She put really well what the district had to think of when providing services online, and it's just a great reminder that meals, safe places, and so much more on top of education happen at schools. It really is the great equalizer that some people call it. Well, at least to some extent, but we're not going to get into school funding in this conversation. Hats off to everyone involved in the problem-solving on how to continue to serve kids during this time. I'm with you on that one, Trevor. For this podcast, we hope to emulate the same ideals of the full Grassley. Keeping in mind the importance of conversations to build grassroots and keeping issues local. Continue listening for our discussions with Iowans in all 99 counties about the issues that matter to them most.